play in different fantasy baseball formats? We've got you covered on today's show. We'll go through the different strategies that arise for various format and rule differences for your specific leagues. We'll also tackle a few player debates and your mailbag questions. CBS's Frank Stamfel joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Not too bad, and it's the start of the new year. This is our second season here on the Fangraphs feed of the Beat the Shift podcast. Are you excited for another season, Ruven? I am definitely excited. I just wish this lockout would end, because right now the only excitement we're getting is to see who the Mets bench coach is going to be. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I'm knee-deep in ATC projections. I've ran all my regressions and formulas to know what I'm doing and starting to compile everything. So uh, it's a full swing for me and ATC projections for those who are interested, which is probably most of you who are listening, coming out in less than two weeks. So uh, that is what I'm going on. We have a great, great guest tonight. He is the host of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. A big beat the shift. Welcome to Frank Stample. How are you, Frank? I'm doing well, guys. How how's everything going here? Awesome. Doing well. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, Frank, yeah, you and I uh, got together for lunch uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me. I was on the uh, Fantasy Baseball Today podcast last week. Great stuff, and great to talk to you again. Yeah, for sure. It was a great time, of course, having you and Ian Khan on together. You know, nice little friendly, friendly rivalry between you two. Uh, but yeah, always fun to talk to you. You guys are, I said it on the podcast then, I'll say it again now, I think two of the best fantasy baseball players out there. I'm not just saying that because I'm on with you. I truly do believe that. So anytime I get the opportunity to talk to you, I'm happy to do so. What about tennis? What about tennis player? Who's the better tennis player, you or Ariel? <laughs> All right, so Ariel got me, but I will preface it with this. I ate a huge egg sandwich that morning, and I have no idea why, because I was I was ready to throw. True story, we were playing like 100-degree heat. It yeah. was blistering outside, and I'm like trying to keep this egg sandwich down. It was just a terrible idea, but a, a, a loss is a loss. I will admit, Ariel Cohen got me. <laughs> yeah, that, it was literally it was literally 98 degrees that day. I don't know why we, we played, but we did. Um, you know what? We're on the same level. I think any day you could beat me, I could beat you. I think we went to a tiebreaker or some crazy thing like that. You know, all good, all good. I will say this: Ariel hasn't invited me to play again. I think he's scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do, don't eat egg sandwiches before, and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll change that soon. But anyways, before we start the show, I do want to publicly give you a congratulations for winning the Tout Wars head-to-head league this year. Uh, you and I squared off in the championship game, and uh, you beat me pretty handily, actually. Uh, first week, you crushed me. Second week was even, but you were so far ahead, and uh, there was nothing I could do there. Congratulations. You played fantastic all season. And, um, you know, first of all... Can, can you tell us, you know, what was your general overall strategy and your reason for your success? Of course, it's, I want to know so I can beat you next year. <laughs> Look, you know that you don't need help in order to beat me, Ariel. You've done great in this format before, and I have no doubt that you will do great once again 
next year. I, I think when you start this many players in an auction, so it's a head-to-head points league, but we use Roto-style format. So two catchers, five outfielders, a corner, a middle. Obviously, you got utility, and you just use nine pitchers. Uh, actually, no, I think it's seven starting pitchers, and it was two relief pitchers. But anytime you have a, a starting roster that deep, I typically like to be more balanced with my roster. And something that you and I have talked about before is... We've noticed other people in this league, they like to overspend for superstars. So as a result, it kind of allows that that middle class to go undervalued. So I kind of came in with, I don't really want to spend more than 30 or $35 on any player if it so happens that someone is going at a good discount who is you know, more than that, then sure, I'll jump in. No problem. I think you, got, you have to be flexible with your plan as well. Uh, but yeah, that that other word there, plan. I, I had a plan coming in. I had players that I targeted at each position. And for the most part, I stuck to that plan. Uh, I will say, I think you also need to be flexible at times as well. I wanted two ace starting pitchers coming into that draft, something I like to do in a head-to-head points league. And it just so happened that everyone was overspending for those aces. I got one of them in Max Scherzer, surprisingly, who was on my bus list last year. I didn't even really want him. But he went for cheaper than I thought he should. He went for $31. Each of Luis Castillo, Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito, they all went for more than him. So uh, I think having a plan, sticking with it, but being able to be flexible as well. And of course, a little bit of luck. You know that, Ariel. Like, the best team doesn't always win in a head-to-head league. So, you know, you had a few starters that were in Colorado that those final couple of weeks. And, you know, the best team doesn't always win in head-to-head. So a little bit of luck, but... Yeah, I definitely had a plan, and I tried my best to stick to it. Yeah, you definitely had a great plan, and the balanced approach is what I do also, and I think it's the way to go. And, you know, besides strategy, there's also tactics, and, you know, you were able to respond well. You didn't like the pricing on some of those other guys, and you were able to pivot to Max Scherzer, who was underpriced, and that's that's why you're successful, because you're able to pivot and it, it choose the right tactic when it comes up. And, you know, we're talking before, and a question came up uh, in Arizona when I was there, and I got another question uh, in the mailbag um, from a uh, physique fan, and he asks, Hey, sometime in the offseason, I would love for you to do a show on the different fantasy platforms and the different strategies that that they require. I've only done Yahoo 5x5 head-to-head for the past 21 years, but maybe you can go through some of the different strategies for different formats. So I thought today we would do a great episode on the differences in strategies for drafting in each format, What maybe some pointers on what you should look out for, what you should tilt more towards, Things like that. And if you if you don't mind, Frank and Ruvain, of course, uh, let's go through a couple differences between league formats. And let's uh, well, chip in and uh, say the different points for each. And hopefully the audience listening will get some advice and can tilt their strategy appropriate for the right format rather than just reading a magazine and going with it for every single thing that they do. Right? Make sense? Yep. All right. Yep. Sounds good. So – Let's just talk about the the overall format. There's three main formats um, in fantasy baseball. There's rotisserie leagues, where everyone is uh, pitted against each other. There's ten different categories. If you're, let's say, in a ten-team league, you get ten points for finishing first in the category, nine points for finishing second, eight points for finishing third, and so on. You do this for every single category. You add it up, and that's your score. So you got to be balanced in all categories because every category matters. There's also head-to-head category leagues where you're fighting each and every week. It's not an accumulation of the whole year, but each and every week is something. And then there's head-to-head points where, you know, a single is 
worth one and a double's worth two and stolen base is worth one, et cetera, et cetera. You add it up, and that's your score for the week, and there you go. That's the points. Uh, and you compete against each other as well. So maybe, Frank, I'll start with you. And what do you see as major differences, different drafting tactics for each of the formats that we just talked about? Yeah, I think they're all very different. And I'll start with Roto. And I think like most people, I'm always drafting for categorical balance. So I want I don't want to have too much power. I don't want to, you know, just draft guys that are speedy. I don't want to just focus on starting pitching. I don't I don't just want to load up on closers. I mean, you might be able to do that in like a head to head categories league, which I'll get to in a second. I mean, that's just like the wild, wild west. But Roto for me, it really comes down to categorical balance. I do have some rules that I like to follow as well. I like to usually have one surefire closer on my team that I feel good about. I like to have one, at least one trustworthy uh, catcher in that format because typically you start two catchers there. Uh, so that's for Roto. And head-to-head points, actually my favorite format, and that's the way I started playing fantasy baseball. So start playing fantasy football. I think the easiest thing to transition from fantasy football is playing a head-to-head points fantasy baseball league. So my longest standing home keeper league, it's a head-to-head points league. Uh, it's my favorite format. It's probably always going to be my favorite format. And, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward, as you mentioned. I, I do think that you want to have strong starting pitching in that format because you can maybe wait on pitching. If you do so, then you start to target two-star pitchers. But that gives you the opportunity to earn negative points two times throughout the course of a week. So I want reliable starting pitching in head-to-head points leagues, whether that's spending up or drafting aces early or just having quality depth. So that's typically what I like to do in head-to-head points leagues. Head-to-head categories, I will point out, this is probably my worst format. I've played in these leagues before, and I know a lot of people like them. And I get why. I mean, obviously there's a head-to-head element, and it's kind of the best of both worlds, head-to-head points and Roto together. But there are just so many different strategies. I mean, people have talked about the Marmol strategy where basically you punt the starting pitcher stats and you just draft relievers and, and you load up on awesome hitting. That's one way that you can go. And there's many different strategies like that. But I have found that headset categories is probably my worst format. Right. Uh, no, I agree with everything you said so far. Um, anything to add, Ruvain? Yeah, I'm going to tweak a little bit there. Roto Leagues, I like... I like Roto Leagues the best because there you're just trying to draft your best team overall. You're trying to make sure you have teams balanced, just like you said, Frank. And you want it. That's that's the best one, and that's what a lot of our what our discussions are on this podcast are just to try to get the best overall team. The head-to-head points league, I go a little bit similar to the Roto League just because I still want those points. You want to have those points at the end. So I tend to be very similar in that type of league. But head-to-head category leagues, I am getting those pitchers and I'm putting them aside. I want hitters. I'm going to punt the starting pitchers just like you said, but I still look I my strategy is to get the two-star pitchers. I don't care about my ERA whip every week. I'll just worry about the strikeouts, try to get a lot of wins and hope my hitters and my and the wins and strikeouts can carry me. All right, so I'll add a couple of points uh, in no particular order. Um, as uh, Frank said, uh, starting pitching matters a lot more in head-to-head points leagues. To me, the big difference is I'm looking for flat innings pitched, right? You get a point per inning, point per strikeout. Um, I'm actually looking for pitchers who pitch long into games. You know, the longer you are into games, you're going to accumulate more wins. You're going to accumulate more innings, more innings without hits and, and walks. Um, so 
pitchers who go longer tend to matter more. A guy like Kyle Hendricks, who pitches deep into games, they matter quite a bit. So uh, that's a big tilt. Um, We talked last week on the podcast about the hitter-pitcher split in roto leagues or in head-to-head category leagues. Your split is more based on the market, what what the market does. In head-to-head points leagues, it's really based more – it's more formula-driven. It's whatever the league values. So uh, that's something that you could exploit if you are better than others at exploiting. Um, in uh, head-to-head points league, the nice thing is that you don't have to have a certain category. If you find that people for some reason are paying too much for speed, punt speed. There's nothing to – there's no category for speed that you need it. You can just load up on power hitters. And the heck with anybody stealing any base if that's too expensive. Uh, for relief pitchers, unless there's a rule that you must have a guy that qualifies relief pitcher, just pick starting pitchers or pitch or pick pitchers who qualify as a reliever, but they really start games. That gives you the most points. Uh, as Frank said, roto leagues are about balance. Um, and uh, head-to-head category leagues, that's really the format that you can try different strategies. Um, a lot of head-to-head category leagues are daily, so that you might come to a situation where if you got two days left, and, hey, do I start a pitcher? He might blow up my ERA. It's a, it's a game where you have to really put more emphasis on the day-to-day management. So in that case, that means that you're going to stream more. It means that in the draft, you can go a little bit more top-heavy, and you can get the reliable guys first and try a lot of darts later on in your draft because you're going to be swapping a lot more players out. Anything else? Which, uh, disagree? Which, agree? Which, which, category, which uh, format do you think it's easiest to pivot during the draft, Frank? Um, I think hmm, I, I think it's probably head-to-head categories, right? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. I don't think that you need like a set strategy going in. I mean, again, like just being able to think on your toes and pivot. Yeah, like I think you can really make anything work there. Again, like what what Ariel was just saying about how you can uh, you're going to change your roster so much there's so much turnover and a lot of it is going to be about streaming at the end of the day um i think you still should have a plan ultimately but i think if you're just talking about pivot it's probably that format yeah there's also one important distinction to make about head to head categories a lot of times the scoring is if you win for the week you get one win quote win and then doesn't matter if you got got all the categories better than the other guy or not you get a win. Um, in some formats, it's uh, a, a full score format where, let's say you won six out of ten categories, your score would be six and four. So in that case, it's a little bit more like Roto in terms of what your strategy is because you can punt s- uh, steals or saves or so, but you know it still counts as a point against you, whereas if it's just a win for the week— really doesn't matter what the categories are. You can punt it and have absolutely nothing to regret at the end of the day. So, you know, just know that if you're if you're playing, tilt a little bit more towards the roto strategy if you're doing full score. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, waiver wire leagues versus draft and hold slash draft champion leagues. That's where waiver wire is where you can pick up players in the, in the middle of the season. Draft champion, uh, draft and hold are where you get your roster. It's a bigger roster, let's say 50 men on the on the team but there's no waiver wire pickups just lineup changes uh what are your thoughts on that in terms of the differences frank 
Yeah, I think the biggest difference, bar none, is just the price and the emphasis on closers. We're already seeing that in draft champions so far this year where closers are going in the third round. These are 15-team leagues, but still, I mean, the third round, that is a pretty hefty cost to spend on a closer. Of course, they're not just giving you saves. I get it. They're giving you ERA, whip, strikeouts, but there's only a finite amount of closers. Uh, you know, there's one closer typically or, you know, multiple the way that MLB is trending for each team. But if you don't grab them in this draft, then you're not going to be able to compete in saves. You're not going to likely be able to compete in your league. And then obviously there's no way you're you're competing for some type of overall. So in a waiver wire league, you know, maybe you can take more chances. You could wait on relievers. You can draft some speculative guys, and you could play the waiver wire. You know, a lot of people do that, and they have success doing it. You're going to have to spend fab. Something that uh, Matt Modica taught me a long time ago, really smart, um, high-stakes player. You're going to spend for saves no matter what. You're either going to do it in your draft, or you're going to do it on the waiver wire. So you have to figure out what you want to do in that format. But in draft and hold, you don't have that luxury. So I think make sure you get at least one short-fire closer. That's what I usually do. And then you kind of just draft skilled relievers more than anything else, I think, later on in your draft. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I also think that uh, you should be drafting reliable pitching in these uh, draft and hold leagues um, because you don't want to have a a thousand darts in the middle, right? If you're just doing middle-middle and you're waiting on pitching, uh, you you lose one anchor, you lose two anchors, and already you have to throw in a bunch of guys. You want to have less ifs to throw in the middle of the year, and you want more uh, innings. You want more at-bats. Playing time is a big issue. So in draft champion leagues, you need to have enough reliable uh, people with playing time. Don't draft prospects too early in these draft champion leagues because you don't know if they're going to pan out uh, in terms of get you the stats. You want to get those reliable guys, and then very late, throw all the darts you want. But make sure you've got that big base of reliability in the active slots. Ruben? Yeah, I think also for the draft and hold, I think you'd also lean more toward getting injured players, players injured coming into the season because they will come back. You'll have other injured guys who will come up during the course of the season. As long as you know players are going to come back, if you later, not early on, but later on, if you get these guys at a discount, you don't know when they're going to come back. Like, let's say you have pick 49 and Dustin May still there, and Dustin May may actually pitch in September or, or the end of August. He's a guy I may want to just hold on to because – What's going to hurt? I mean, who else are you going to get at the, in the 49th round? If he's still available or something like that, or some a player or something like that, I would do that as opposed – you would never do that in a waiver wire league. In waiver wire league, he wouldn't even make it to the draft. He wouldn't be even a thought. Even if there's an IL, people aren't going to do that. Right. Now, Frank, do you agree with in draft champion leagues in doubling up on a team? So if you have uh, a closer and a team, get that backup. Or if you have two guys in a position battle, get both of them. The the handcuffing, does that actually, uh, is that uh, appeal to you uh, uh, more in a draft and hold league? Yeah, I actually do it quite a bit. I mean, specifically for catcher, too. Once I know who my starters are, I'm basically just going to wait until the final rounds of the draft, and I'm going to take their backup. So if anything happens to them, I have someone that I could plug in. They're going to give me plate appearances. Are they going to be good plate appearances? Probably not because they're a backup catcher, but I typically do that for relievers as well. If I know that there's a clear backup there, a clear setup man, someone that I think is somewhat talented, then yeah, I will target that guy as well. But... I don't want to be too rigid when it comes to bullpens too, because I want to take some other shots in other places as well, because again, there's so much turnover in terms of 
closers year in and year out. So you want as many bites at the apple as you could possibly get. So I, I will do it a little bit, maybe for like the high end closer that I get, if there's a clear backup, but if not, then I'm probably just going to uh, take a few other different directions and, and other options. And again, just bites at the apple. Right. What about Roto Leagues versus Best Ball Leagues? How do you play Best Ball Leagues differently in the draft and uh, different than you would in a Roto League? So again, in Roto, it's it's all about categorical balance for me. You know, I'm it's across the board. It's you, you don't want too much in one's place. You know, you got to balance it out there throughout the course of the draft. I know a lot of people actually keep track of their stats while they're drafting if they're doing a slow draft. You could do it in a fast draft as well. It's a little bit harder to keep up, but yeah, again, it's just drafting categorical balance in Roto. For best ball, you're really just trying to accumulate as many points as you can on a weekly basis. I love targeting hitters in good offenses because good offense is going to lead to more plate appearances. More plate appearances equals more opportunity for fantasy points, and I typically avoid closers completely in best ball. Again, there's so much turnover, so much uncertainty. I'm only drafting starting pitchers. Maybe towards the end of a best ball draft, I'll take a shot just because there's really no starting pitchers left, you know. So I'll just draft whatever relievers are available, someone that I think can, you know, maybe earn me a win here or there, a couple of innings, a couple of strikeouts, but really just avoiding closers in best ball and in roto it comes down to balance once again. Ruben? Yeah, best ball, I try to just pile on the offense. I think the offense is most important there. I think the offense, you're trying to get the most points. And you know what? Those hitters have a less chance. I mean, it's still pretty close, but a less chance of getting injured during the course of the year. If you got those top pitchers and they get injured during the course of the year, they, they really don't help you that much, and and you can you can churn and 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 a lot some best balls have you know waiver wire and stuff like that, but you want to have the best offensive players. I think you should if you can even wait to the fifth round to get a to get a starting pitcher. And in my opinion, for a best ball, because you want to get as many high profile or high pick offensive players. So in best ball, it's about getting the best performance for the week. Um, you know. In general, the best performances of a week are generally the pitchers, right? The pitchers, oh, this this guy had a seven-inning shutout. Uh, seven innings, pitched uh, no runs, just a couple of hits. Those are the ones that give you the most points, period. In Roto, of course, you have that pitcher, and the following week it's balanced by an okay start, and you know you live with the aggregate result. Not in best ball. You're just getting that performance, period. Um, the way to play it, I think, in terms of the pitchers, it's totally quantity over quality. I'd rather take a whole bunch of pitchers lower down, hoping that the best five, six of them will, for that week, give you a great result. doesn't really matter if an ace gives you a, a, a bad result. That just won't count that week. Or a middle pitcher gives you a bad result. won't count that week. Or a bottom pitcher give you a bad result, it won't count that week. So it doesn't really matter where the starts come from. You just want to have a lot of them, and the computer will just pick the best one. So uh, I would, again, also tilt towards offense, build up the offense, ignore um, ignore pitchers, uh, uh, unless there's a, a one that's a fabulous value uh, early on. But you can really just go quantity later over quality. And I agree with Frank. Uh, you don't need the saves. They're fickle. Uh, unless your best ball format has a very, very big uh, point for saves, uh, generally it's worth just loading up on the starters and ignoring them as well. All right. How about trading leagues versus non-trading leagues? Let's go to Ruvain first in terms of how you would play it a little bit different at the draft. 
Well, trading leagues, I would have no problem drafting a bunch of stolen base guys early in the thought that it'll be be able to trade them later on for pitching because you can do that in a trading league. However, a lot of trading leagues are home leagues, and sometimes you have to know the league you're in because a home league that's a training league may end up turning into a non-trading league just because of animosity. They don't like this offer. They don't like this offer. And it, it could be, you know, it could be kind of sticky when it comes to that. So non-trading leagues, you just have to, again, just pretend it's a roto, pretend get get the best players and just worry about yourself. But trading leagues, again, you have to be so careful in what categories you're doubling up on. You want to get a lot of closers because you want to trade a closer later on. That's the way to go. You want to get a stolen base guy, do it and go a whole bunch of stolen base guys. That can work out as well. But you have to be careful because home leagues can be very fickle about trading. I mean, I find myself um, in both cases trying to go for balance. Although in a non-trading league, you absolutely have to be balanced. I mean, even if there's a good value that pops up, if you are too loaded on stolen bases, you just cannot pick up that guy um, because you're going to be deficient elsewhere. Whereas you could in a trading league because then you can dump him or you can pick up an extra position. If you have too many third basemen, that's okay in a trading league. Again, I, I don't try to do that. I try to draft balance where I can. But during the draft, um, it's a little bit more easy to pivot. You don't have to give up value as you would in a non-trading league. Do you agree, Frank? Yeah, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. I, I was going to say maybe it's a cop-out, but I really don't change much. I, I still try to draft for balance. I think if you're going to do anything in a trade league, maybe you try and corner a market on a specific category, whether it's saves or steals, because those are typically the hardest categories to come by, or maybe cornering a position, whether it's catcher or third base. It seems like third base is going to be one of the more shallow positions this upcoming season. So, yeah, I think you can do that in a trading league, and then obviously, you know, you can wait it out and, and until someone comes and they offer you what you need and so on and so forth. But typically, I'm just tra I'm just drafting for balance in both. But, yeah, maybe it's a cop-out, but that's what I usually do. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, it's not a cop-out. That's the advice is don't worry about that. You know, that that's good advice, and that's what I would do. Um Let's talk about uh, league size. What would you do differently in deeper leagues? Let's talk 15-team-plus mixed leagues, 12-team mono leagues, versus shallow leagues. We're talking 10 to 12 mixed and shallower. Yeah, so I typically take less risks in deeper leagues and maybe draft the quote-unquote boring player, a veteran that you know is going to play. He's going to give you plate appearances or a an older starting pitcher who you know is going to give you, you know, maybe not the best innings, but okay innings, quality innings. Um, I, I typically try to avoid injury-prone players as well in deeper formats because the replacement value is just so much worse in deeper leagues. And, you know, in shallow leagues, Typically, everyone has a strong team, so you have to find a way to stand out against your opponents. So, you know, maybe drafting more high-risk, high-reward type players like Adalberto Mondesi. Not that I would ever draft him. I, he's just not for me, Adalberto <laughs> Mondesi. But I think he's the perfect example where if you play in a 10-team Roto League, a 10-team head-to-head categories league, if Mondesi ever were to stay healthy for, I don't know, 130-plus games, 140-plus games, the sky is the limit. I mean, he could hit 20 homers. He could steal 60 bases. It's not likely. And in that format, if he gets hurt, the replacement value on your waiver wire is much, much better. Yeah, no, totally agree. And and that's what I refer to as categorical risk. Um, it's the same thing with catchers also. If you have, or, you know, if you draft Salvador Perez in a deeper league and he gets hurt, 
goodness, that's a huge, huge hit to your team's value because the replacement level is so, so low. And same thing with uh, Mondesi. Where are you going to get those steals from in a deeper league? Um, it, you know, anything where, any time where a player would abnormally, uh, un, an outsized, maybe that's a better word, it would have an outsized impact on your roster uh, compared to others for getting hurt, that's a categorical risk. And you should stay away from those if you're in a deeper league, but you can take on more of those risks in a shallow league because the replacement level is much higher, exactly as you say. Um, I would also say that in deeper leagues, you have to be very aware of which uh, which positions have the lower replacement value. Um, this year, um, outfielder, and usually an outfielder, uh, usually it's true an outfielder in any league. Outfielders in deeper leagues, the bottom is very, very barren, so you should be comfortable taking a lot of outfielders quicker than you think. Don't think that I have five outfielder slots, so I can wait. No, no, you're better off filling them a little bit earlier than you think. Third base is a wasteland this year. It's definitely in deeper leagues. You should go for top third baseman um, as opposed to other positions where you can. And I will say that playing time is a key. If you're in a deeper league, you want to amass more playing time. Playing time, playing time. I would gamble less on prospects, less on injured players, whereas in a shallow league, Absolutely, you can take more. Uh, you can take more darts and more guesses because, hey, if they miss, then it's a better player who's left on your roster to improve. The last difference between the two, um, and we mentioned this on a previous show, in terms of starting pitching, I would tilt more towards stars and scrubs in the deeper leagues because. Um, you want to get that ace who's just a much, much bigger value in a deeper league compared to replacement. In shallow leagues, there's absolutely no reason to go to pay those obscene prices at the top. You can get tons of middle-middle pitching at a much cheaper level, and that'll be fine. And if somebody gets hurt, you're still getting a good pitcher to replace. You can stream very well in shallow leagues, so you know you don't have to uh, go bonkers. Uh, so you can go middle-middle in shallow, whereas in deeper leagues, um, I would tilt towards stars and scrubs. Make sure, I, I shouldn't say tilt towards stars and scrubs. You should make sure you get a good pitcher at the top, uh, secure those stats at the top uh, for sure. Ruben? I agree with you both about the deeper leagues, but the shallow league, I think you go stars and scrubs just for the entire thing because the replacement value is not going to be as low as in a deeper league. So you have a better chance of having a better team. And you can hit, and if you hit on one of those scrubs, you are golden. Or one or two of those scrubs, especially if it's a pitcher. If you hit one of those pitchers, that's a so-called scrub, when you, and you have those two or three aces that you have already, oh, that's you're, you're golden. There's there's a very good chance you're going to win that. So I tend to lean a little bit more. I know, Ariel, we play in one 10-team league, and we usually go stars and scrubs with all the players, not just the hitters, but the pitchers too. And it just happens to work out that way that every year we do well. But you, I think it's also if you have to know the player pool and if you know the team, the, if you know the people in your league, that helps also. But yeah, that's that's what I I differ a little bit. You in the shower league. Okay, um, Frank, what is your preferred format? Do you like playing in deeper or shallow leagues? I do prefer playing in deeper leagues. I've noticed that in shallow leagues, the decision making is just so tough because there's so many good players, whether it's on your team or the waiver wire, that you almost don't even know who to play. I feel like it makes the decisions tougher in that format. Uh, whereas, look, in a deeper league, you kind of know who you got. I mean, you're you're playing the best players, and that's it. Obviously, the waiver wire is pretty barren in deeper leagues, but I like the challenge of you know trying to piece it together there. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be deeper leagues for me. 
All right. Let's talk about catchers. Um, some people play in one catcher league. Some people play in two catcher leagues. How does that change your strategy depending upon that format, Frank? Yeah, so I actually care about the catcher position more in a two-catcher league. I want at least one serviceable starter. This year, it looks like it's going to be probably a top six catcher. I mean, the position is just so bad. I mean, after the top six, we get into a little bit of an unknown in terms of young players, prospects, uh, and and just really the quality of the at-bats that you're getting is just much lower the further you go into the position. Uh, it's really just not a strong offensive position, and it's been that way for such a long time. So in two catcher leagues, I like to get one reliable player, and then I can wait a little bit on the second catcher, at least someone maybe that I know has a little bit of upside, someone who I know is going to play quite regularly for their respective team. I, I don't mind that as my second catcher. Uh, in a one-catcher league, it just seems like every year there's there are so many catchers that emerge and maybe they don't turn out to be stars, but you can find guys that are just serviceable. I mean, just look at, you know, last year there were multiple guys like Mike Zanino came out of nowhere and he hit 30 plus home runs. And I'm not saying there's going to be a catcher that, that hits 30 plus every year, but typically there is someone that is going to be uh, serviceable or at least multiple within like the top 10 or 12. So uh, I put more emphasis on it personally in a two catcher league. All right, moving. I agree with you, Frank, when it comes to the deeper two-catcher leagues. You have to get that one solid guy, and then you're good. But if you miss out on that one solid guy, then I'm going catcher-catcher in the rounds 29 and 30. I don't care because they're all basically the same. If the league is shallower, I want to get – I'm more open to spend more money on catcher, more draft capital on the catcher if it's a shallower league just because I know the replacement value. Yes, it's not that great, but you're not going to get the 30th catcher either. Yeah, Mike Port, Mike Podhorzer, who's on the show a couple weeks ago, used to tell me that he finds that people overvalue catchers in one catcher leagues and tend to undervalue catchers in two catcher leagues. I I agree a little bit with that. I think it's true in one catcher leagues. I think people definitely overvalue it. Oh, gotta need a catcher? You actually don't. Um, there, just as Frank said, there's always somebody who comes out of nowhere, um, in the in the replacement bin in the waiver wire, who's gonna jump up to more than replacement level. There's no point in spending more than a dollar or your very last pick on catchers. There really isn't, um, unless the market is giving you such a premium, uh, such a discount. And they're not going to do that. Uh, the way to play it is just just get anybody anybody who falls to you at the very end. Two catcher leagues, though, y- I, you don't want to be in a position during the year where you're playing the waiver wire every week for two catchers. Like I, I wouldn't get two one dollar catchers, two last pick catchers, because y- you want to shop every year crap for catchers every every single week. Uh, y- I don't want to do that. At most, I want to do that with one, and sometimes you have to if. You know, that's the way the uh, the draft falls. But I definitely don't want to do that with two. And I found that in two catcher leagues, um, unless the very top gives you a nice discount. Last year, I thought Salvador Perez was a great bargain, and he turned out to be the right play. Unless I find a nice discount, I'm okay with taking a middle catcher, a, a definitely a top 10. Like, I, w- I would want to get a top 10 catcher. And then something a little bit above the bottom. I don't like playing the, the very, very bottom. I'll maybe get a top... 15, 20 catcher, depends on the league depth, um, just so that I get something that I'm not, oh, my God, what is at the bottom? Uh, but I am conscious of catchers. I think catchers are, could be slightly undervalued, um, especially in the middle. I, I think there's always the the middle tier, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh best catchers that probably worth more than, than they're going for because of positional scarcity. Uh, agree, Frank? 
Yeah, I, I I love that kind of middle round range so far this year. I, you know, I'm not going to be the person who is using a third round pick on Salvador Perez this season. I think the price on JT Real Muto is solid this year. You know, if you can get him in the fourth round of a 15 team or maybe even the fifth round of a 12 team league, but really that mid round range where you can get Grandal or uh, Wilson Contreras in the seventh, eighth, ninth round. I really like living there as m- with my first catcher, and then you know maybe later on grabbing like and Elias Diaz, something like that, as my second catcher. But you have to remember, you have to remember also, last year, last year, only six catchers had more than 400 at-bats, and the one right after that, 395, was Buster Posey, who retired. So, you know, how many at-bats are you really getting out of this position that you want to overpay in it if it's a, if it's a one-catcher league, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's one thing to consider this year, though, that there are a few select catchers that might end up DHing because of the the National League could go and become DH, or maybe there's a really good catcher in the American League, like Salvador Perez. He's gonna get a lot of at bats also from DH, uh, and he he's not a regular catcher. He's gonna get more at bats than the regular catcher. Um, how about uh, Alejandro Kirk on Toronto? He's got a really good bat, and even if he's not the primary catcher, they could sneak an extra at bat for him. How about Will Smith and JT Realmuto? The NL goes DH. I can see them getting a quite a bit more. So there are a select few, maybe a half dozen, that are going to get a lot more playing time. So just watch out for that this year, that there are pockets where a lot of playing time is available. And as we said, it's all about the playing time. So those catchers are actually going to be worth a lot more than you think. I, I love the price. I agree with you, Frank. Uh, I love the price on Real Muto this year uh, and Contreras. I think with the DH, they're going to be really improved. Yeah, those are a few National League ones that stand out. Uh, I've heard people talk about Travis Darno potentially picking up at bats as the National League DH. So, yeah, I mean, look, as long as that catcher is, you know, a decent hitter, I, I would still put Travis Darno in that category as long as he's healthy. I think they probably pick up some at bats with the NLDH. Yep. All right, let's go to Ruben first in this one, uh, talking about uh, injured list slots versus no injured list slots. And let's talk in general just about bench size. What do you do different in a league where there are, let's say, three bench spots, like the ESPN standard game, or maybe seven bench spots, or seven bench spots plus IL, where you have a lot bigger uh, flexibility on your bench that you can hold? How would you draft differently? Um, and with the seven bench spots, I'm much, much more prone to draft even up to two players who are injured coming into the season or players who you think are going to come back, let's say, in April or beginning of May. If, if you have three spots on your bench, the way people, the way players get injured last couple of years that basically one out of every two player gets injured, you can't have any, you can't draft any of these injured guys coming into the season and you're on your bench because who's going to replace the guy who's going to get injured in your lineup the first? First week or the second week, so it's just so hard to do. And with COVID, I think there are going to be less COVID cases during the course of the year. Hopefully, because I think that you know the way the pandemic is running, running, going right now, I think they will have less COVID ILs. And I, I think COVID are, are had about twenty five percent of all IL spots last year. So I think it'll be a little bit better this year. But still, how do you, how can you put someone who's injured coming into the season? You know they're going to miss all of April on a three bench spot on a, on a, on a team with three bench spots. It just doesn't work. Yeah, Frank, what do you do differently? Look, I'll just preface everything with this. If you play in a league with three bench spots, please change that. Just add a few more bench spots, add a few (laughs) IL spots as well. I mean, there's just so much going on throughout the course of the season where you're going to have players that get hurt. You're going to hear about prospects that are performing well that you might want to stash on your team. So I get it. There's a lot of leagues that have played this way for a long time, and that's what they're used to. That might be the standard on ESPN, but I would just say, 
at least five bench spots, maybe add a couple of IL spots as well. But really, the difference between a small and big bench is exactly that. You, you really can't stash upside in a smaller bench, in my opinion. You have to have serviceable players, guys that can help you. You know, if, if you have a hitter that gets hurt, uh, you have to be able to replace him right then and there, right? Uh, I don't think you can afford to use those bench spots in a smaller bench league on upside, whereas, you know, in the NFBC, there's no IL, but you do have seven spots, so maybe you can dedicate one spot to an injured player, one spot to a prospect you want to stash, and then the other five spots, you have two hitters that you can rotate in and out and three pitchers, or vice versa, maybe three hitters that you can rotate and then two pitchers on your bench. Um, but yeah, I just think it comes down to the ability to stash upside in the smaller versus bigger benches. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, just to, to add, um, when you have a very small bench slot, you're probably going to be streaming a little bit more, especially pitchers. So make note of that when you draft. I mean, make your last couple of picks um, could just be somebody with a good matchup in the first couple of weeks, right? You don't have to, you don't have to say, all right, well, I'm going to take an upside pick on this prospect. I wouldn't do that. Think about, hey, you're going to probably need that spot to drop and to and to waiver wire pick up somebody who's going to just have one week on your team or two weeks on your team at the very most. So just be cognizant of that as you go on. Um, Let's talk daily versus weekly lineups. Um, Certainly uh, Otani has got a totally different price in uh, daily. Is is Otani the number one person off the board for you in a daily league, Frank? I think in a league where you can play him both as a right, right, pitcher right. and as a hitter all year long and reap all those benefits, 1,000%, he is the first overall pick. I mean, this guy is a top 30 starting pitcher in terms of what he provides when he starts. Maybe he's not going to make as many starts as other pitchers. I wouldn't project him for 30. Maybe he gives you 22 to 25 starts, something like that. But he was really, really good as a starting pitcher last year, and... Yeah, he was an MVP caliber bat. So no doubt in my mind, if you play in a head-to-head lineup where you could reap all those benefits, Otani is the number one overall pick. And I kind of want to derail the podcast, Ariel, if you will allow me to do sure. that. Because Please. I want to I wanna ask you guys, how do we get the most out of Otani in weekly leagues? Because I had Otani in the main event last year, and I understand the rules coming in and, you know, so I knew that. Like, I, I can't complain about it after the fact, but I'm going to do it anyway because why not? That's what I like to do. Um, <laughs> but it was so frustrating because I had Otani, and yeah, I'm reaping all of these offensive categories and stats that he's providing, but I needed pitching. It's a 15-team Roto League, and it's just so frustrating to see him go out there, and he's throwing six, seven innings, double-digit strikeouts, and I can't reap those benefits. So... I don't know what the answer is, and I've you know I brought it up on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, and I've you know I've pulled people on Twitter. It's like, how? What do we do? How do we fix this? How can we get both the pitching and the hitting out of Otani in a weekly league? Yeah, I mean, and of course, you're talking about uh, where the rule is that he has oh, he he's one or the other for the week, right? You can't. Yeah, where he's just yeah. one player. Yeah, where he's yeah. you know he's on your roster as one player because I know I believe it's in Yahoo where he's two different players and there's a pitcher Otani and there's a hitter Otani, but you know most of the leagues that I play in he's one player and it's just very frustrating one way or the other where if you play him as a pitcher you lose out on the hitting if you play him as a hitter you lose out on the pitching and I just feel like it shouldn't be that way. We just saw how valuable he was. From a real life perspective, he should be the most valuable player for fantasy as well. 
Right. Well, unless you're playing best ball, and best ball, I guess, there's nothing to think about. It, it automatically chooses where he fits better. Uh, but, yeah, that's part of the frustration and part of the strategy with uh, playing Otani. Um, I think the general rule for him is that uh, if he's a one-star pitcher in a week, you're almost always going to have to use him as a hitter. Right? I mean, he's not going to be as valuable as all those hitting stats that you get. If it's a short week where there's, I don't know, in some formats, let's say a three-day or four-day week in the beginning of the season or the all-star break or something like that, if he's starting in that and it's only a three-day week, then you're going to start him. If it's a two-start week and the matchups are relatively good, you can also consider doing that. Other than that, it's pretty much at the end of the season, if you're really behind in the pitching categories and he's still pitching and you're okay with the hitting categories, then it's a situational thing for your particular team, then you can play him as a pitcher. But pretty much otherwise, I think he's he's a hitter. And to be honest, when you're paying for him in, in a draft or in an auction, you really should only be paying the hitter price. I kind of think that where he's going in the mid-first round, I think people are thinking he's a super superstar, which he is in real life, but not in fantasy in weekly sense as you just uh, articulated. So I think he's pretty overpriced right now in the game, don't you think? Yeah, you just you really just stole the, what I was going to say. The last <laughs> thing that you said, he has to be drafted as a hitter. Why? The Angels use a six-man rotation. How many times is he actually going to have a two-start week? And even when he doesn't have a two-start week, they're resting him because they want him to stay healthy. So, or or he sits or he misses a start here and there. His value is in hitting. If you're drafting him, yes, you can use him for pitching if you really desperately need to. But when you're thinking of drafting him, think of him as more of a hitter than a pitcher. I mean, otherwise. If you're drafting as a pitcher, you're going to lose so much hitting stats. That some, listen, if he's a DH and you have, another, you have another DH you can plug in, perfectly fine. But otherwise, you got to draft him as a hitter. Yeah, I mean, uh, I totally agree. Um, Frank, what, what, what else uh, do you have in terms of differences of how to draft for daily versus weekly lineup league? Yeah, I think in daily lineup leagues, you can pay more attention to platoon players. I know typically in weekly lineup leagues, we want volume. We want players that we could depend on, guys that we know that we're gonna are gonna play every day or at least close to it. I think if you are savvy enough and you are someone who you know legitimately pl- uh, pays attention to it day in and day out, you can have platoon players on your team. You know, a lot of people just think, all right, well, I'm losing out on volume if I. Uh, have Akil Badu on my team, let's say he's not going to play against left-handed pitching. Well, if you only play him against right-handed pitching, and then you have another really strong bat that only plays against right-handed pitching, let's just say a Brandon Belt, for example, you combine those two players together, and that's a really, really good player. So uh, I I would say if you're on top of it, you can actually pay attention uh, and take advantage of platoon players more in this format. Uh, Absolutely. Platoon's a big thing. I'd also say if somebody has a big home road split, you can also take advantage of that. It makes anybody with a wide split more valuable, right? Because you can now get the better part and throw away the worst part for somebody else. Um, I'll also say that it makes uh, good middle relievers a lot more valuable in daily play. Uh, Actually, Frank, you and I played uh, last year in a daily league. Um, and uh, what we did in that league, uh, I, I partnered with Derek Hardy, is we took up a bunch of high-valued middle relievers uh, because on the days that the starters don't start, <laughs> the best thing you can do is get a guy with a really good ratio to come in. I don't even need the save. It doesn't have to be, but just somebody who'll give you a bunch of extra Ks, get you some good ratios, uh, and so on and so forth. So those play a lot bigger in daily versus weekly. Moving. Also, for daily versus weekly, if you have that slot where you have to start two relievers, those starting pitcher, relief pitcher, 
uh, combo pitchers are so much more valuable in the daily league. I love daily leagues. They're the, they're the best. This way you can actually see how managers are playing. If you live in the East Coast, we live in the East Coast. I'll look at my daily league because I'll see what happened last night, late last night. I'll get a, an idea of the trend of how the managers are playing the platoons. And it helps you for the weekly leagues. You can say, oh, you know what? I've seen this over the past couple of days. I see how this manager uses these players, and you're able to use, you know, play the waiver wire so much better in a weekly league if you have at least one daily league. Last format that I want to just uh, quickly touch on is overall versus standalone, where let's say in the NFBC or these high money leagues, there's an overall component that, let's say there's 30 leagues that have the same format, there's prizes for the individual leagues, but then you put them all together in an overall, and there's a huge pot at the at the end um, versus standalone. Most home leagues are just standalone. Uh, what would you do differently, Frank, uh, if drafting in both of those? I think even more so in an overall competition. We've talked about balance this entire podcast, but, I mean, it is of the utmost importance. I think in a standalone league, you can finish in last place in a category and you could still win in your league. The way that it averages out is you have to finish top three, at least top three in every other category, all nine other categories, if you finish last in one category. It's possible. It's still possible to win your league. I've, I've done it before. But if you play in an overall competition and you are deficient in one category, you just don't have a chance. So we've talked about balance a lot. I think in an overall, it is of the utmost importance. You really just cannot have any deficiencies. In standalone, you can actually, you can make up the the loss in one category, but you just have to be that much better everywhere else. Totally agree. That's the absolute biggest thing uh, in terms of the difference. Um, I will say that you do, in an overall, have to take a few more gambles than you would in standalone. Standalone, you can play very low risk and be fine. Uh, but in an overall, somebody is going to win by getting a cheap guy somewhere. And when I say take gambles, it doesn't mean taking a gamble on a rookie in the fifth round. It doesn't mean, well, I got to get this guy, so I'm going to pay for this guy. No, it just means that the players lower down are going to be high upside darts. Maybe like a Noah Syndergaard. I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm going to get out of him. I don't think he's going to be a great profit, but if he hits, he's going to be great, and he probably won't cost all that much. Um, maybe he's not a great example because he's probably going higher than he should. But somebody low down in your last couple of rounds, they should all be darts. Somebody who I think he's going to break out. I think he's going to get a lot of more playing time. Uh, those types of things, you have to have a lot more risk and less sure things but boring guys in the end. I think you do have to tilt a little bit more towards the risk at the bottom. You agree, Ruben? 100%. You have to take some risk in the over, for an overall. Otherwise, you have no shot. If you if you pick a balanced team, that's great. You may win your satellite league, but you're not going to win the overall, and that's not going to happen. Sometimes for the... If you're going to win an overall, you have to have a ton of luck. A lot of breaks have to go your way to win an overall league, and you have to have those darts hit. All right, so we've talked a lot about the difference between formats, and I hope that everyone enjoyed this. Um, I hope that everyone got a little bit of the differences, and, of course, you can always reach out to us if you have any other questions as well. But I do want to get to a couple of player debates as we're doing them before the ATC projections come out, and the first one here is Tariq Skubal versus Jose Urquidy. Uh, Scoobles ADP for the last month has been about 183. Urquidy at 186, so they're roughly the same price. Um, Urquidy had a shoulder issue. Tariq Scoobal is the talk of the town, everybody's favorite sleeper. Are you intrigued, Frank, or are you going with uh, Urquidy, who might even have more upside? 
Yeah, I am going to go with Jose Urquidy here. And, you know, I actually think people would be surprised to know that the swinging strike rate was actually really close on both of these pitchers. You wouldn't think it because you see Tarek Skubal with over a strikeout per inning and you look at Jose Urquidy and he's sitting there at, you know, seven and a half Ks per nine. But he has great control. Uh, he's going to almost certainly be an advantage in terms of whip, a 102 whip for his career, 3.55 ERA. The underlying numbers for Jose Urquidy say that he's been lucky in his career, but he does a really good job of limiting hard contact. And I think if there's one type of pitcher, these underlying numbers, XFIP, Sierra, expected ERA, they struggle with, it's a pitcher who does a good job of limiting hard contact. And that's exactly who I think Jose Urquidy is. Uh, I think that there's a little bit more in terms of strikeout upside than we've seen out of him before. He plays on a really good team. I think when he's healthy and everything is going right, he can go deep into his starts. So that will allow for wins as well. Uh, and the fact that he is on that good team, so he should have run support uh, with the Houston Astros. I I think the Detroit Tigers are getting better. They, they're on the upswing here and they've got prospects coming. They just signed Javier Baez. So I don't want to discount them. I, I, you know, I think that they are a team on a ri- on the rise, and maybe they even compete for an American League wildcard spot this year. I like Skubal. I think that there's some upside there. I think that he still has a lot of things that he needs to figure out, uh, most notably with the fastball. The fastball gets hit so, so hard for Tarek Skubal, and just overall, he allows a lot of hard contact. So um, I think long-term, if you have him in Dynasty, you should feel good about it. But if we're just talking redraft, I would take Urquidy over Skubal. Well, that is a very, very well said answer. Uh, very well put together, and I think I agree with that. Uh, I'll, you know, I have nothing more to add other than to say that um, I think Scooble is going to give you a slightly better ERA, slightly worse WHIP. Urquidy is going to give you uh, just the opposite, a better WHIP, but probably worse ERA. So for that reason. Um, I think it really comes down to what you need on your roster at the end. But I think Urquidy is the one with the higher upside. Uh, so I would probably go with him at this point. Ruben? Excellent. I'm the guy who gets to take Tarek Skubal here. <laughs> I, actually, I actually wanted to take, speak about him because he's going to be playing in a very weak division, a very weak division. Jose Urquidy in that AL, that AL West, the A's are usually good. The Mariners are on the upswing. I'm a little nervous. And, and, and the Mariners and uh, sorry, the Angels, they're bulking up also. So you never know what's going to happen there. The AL Central, it's going to be a very weak division. Skubal threw 149 innings last year. His ground ball rate went up. And... In September, he only pitched 15 in the third innings, which actually makes this whole season look a little bit odd because until then, he was averaging five and two-thirds innings per start through August. That's very high. That gives him a better chance for wins. And if you're playing on a, in a, on a decent team in a bad division, that's what I want. And because he threw 149 innings last year, I think he may be able to throw 180, even 190 innings next year. I do not see that out of Jose Arquiti, who had some, some shoulder discomfort last year. Yeah, that's the only thing that bothers me about Arquiti is the shoulder. Um, other than that, I, I, you know, I'm agreeing with Frank, but uh, that risk uh, could persuade me uh, not. I'm probably out on both those guys. Are, are you guys in or out on, on any of those? Uh, to be truthfully honest with you, I, I'm still working through my rankings, and I haven't sure. really, I haven't really, you know, dove deep onto into either one of these guys until this podcast. So, I don't, I don't think, like in that range, I think I'm, there's going to be other pitchers that I'm right. interested in. Um, but I get why people like them. Like, I, there's clearly strikeout upside for for Tarek Skubal, and again, I think there is more to come for Jose Arquiti. It's just a matter of you know how long can he actually stay healthy. So the answer. Probably out on both, but if I have to choose one, it would be Urquidy. 
Okay, same here. Um, let's do Avisail Garcia versus Joey Gallo. Garcia's ADP, 175. Gallo, 177. Uh, last year, Gallo uh, hit 38 homers with a 199 batting average. Oh, boy. That's pretty bad. Uh, Garcia, 29 homers, 262 batting average. They both had some value. Garcia was more valuable last year, especially because of the average. Um, hey, well, what are your thoughts, Frank? Uh, are you going with Garcia or the sure Gallo, although he will crush your batting average? Did you choose this because I'm a Yankee fan, Ariel? I did not choose this because you're a Yankee fan, but he definitely did not play well in the Yankees last year. I try not to let my fandom get in the way of fantasy. You really <laughs> cannot do that, but I've got to say, I hate watching Joey Gallo play baseball. Like, just did not come through at all after the trade to the Yankees. Again, you should not let that affect you in fantasy. You should try to be objective as you possibly can. It's just very hard for me, uh, but for multiple reasons, right? Like, Joey Gallo, just look at the profile. You know that he's going to give you power. Where he's going in the draft, it is later than it's ever been. You know, his ADP, you know, right around 200 right now. I, I will admit that. But his skill set is so unique where you almost need to plan the rest of your team around getting Joey Gallo or else it's not going to work. If, you, if you're sitting there with a middling batting average in the middle of your draft and then you just decide, oh, I want to draft Joey Gallo, that's going to completely sink your batting average. So you almost have to load up with a bunch of batting average buffers on your team because typically maybe you want have one hitter below 250 on your team, two hitters max under 250. The fact that he's going to hit around 200 just brings down your batting average so much. So you really need to know going into your draft that you want to target Joey Gallo, and typically that's never what I'm going to do. So the answer, like the last one, is I'm probably not going to draft either one of these guys. I like Evisail Garcia. I think he's a solid ball player. I really don't like the move to Miami. Obviously, it's a bigger park, and the rest of that lineup is still not great. I think it leaves a lot to be desired. So... Maybe they signed someone else. They were linked to Nick Cassianos and Michael Conforto. They can make some moves, but uh, ultimately, I think you get a little bit of power, some speed out of Avi, Avi Garcia. I would take him, but honestly, probably neither. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. I agree that um, you'd have to have a, a roster that can handle that, that gallo. You'd have to be somewhat light on homers and really good on batting average. So uh, it's hard to be in a position to really get him. Garcia's much better on roster construction. Um, I, I, I'd i say in drafts, it's it's going to be Garcia easily, right, for that reason, that it's much harder to construct. In an auction, I guess technically it's more possible, but still tough. Ruvain? I actually think Joey Gallo has maybe two uh, redeeming qualities that besides his power. He's a lefty at Yankee Stadium, and he's in a, con in a Yankee Stadium in a Yankee lineup, which is better than the Texas lineup, and he's in a contract year. That's the only positive things I can say about Joey Gallo, so I'm out on Joey Gallo. <laughs> Avisal Garcia, he's, he's actually 30 already. His last two full seasons, in two, 2019 and last year, he's averaged 25 homers. 270 batting average, and he's had 19 stolen bases combined in those two seasons. So he's not at zero when it comes to stolen bases. You get something out of there. Not only that, his BABIP last year was 290. So you can expect a little bit higher batting average next year, number one. Number two, his K rate and walk rate have not changed since he joined MLB in 2012. So you know you're going to get a decent batting average. He's not going to hurt you with the batting average. He may actually even help you with your batting average. So I'm all in on Avisal Garcia. At this point, I think as the drafts go on during the course of the season, I think Garcia will drop more only because he's on the Marlins. But being on the Marlins for him is a positive. There's nobody behind him. He's going to get all the playing time. There's going to be no platoon. That outfield in Miami is 
right now pitiful. So he is the main guy. He is going to be the fixture there. He's going to be batting either third or fourth in that lineup. So I'm taking Avisel Garcia. Yeah, Garcia for me is on the cusp of being draftable at a, at a value. If he drops uh, another couple of rounds, I think it's decent value. You're getting full, nice power. You get, you're getting a nice spread of statistics, right? You're getting quite a bit of power. You're getting a good batting average today. You're getting a couple steals. So he actually fits rosters for value. Like, he's just volume. Here's quantity. Here you go. It just fills your lineup. So if he drops just a little bit more, I think he's a pretty good take. I will say one nice thing about Gallo, um, and this is a very um, actuarial perspective, he's a low-risk player, meaning we know what he is. He's a 40-homer guy with a 200 batting average, right? That's who he is. If you're fi- if you're factoring the price and it tells you that he's a $15 player with those statistics, by golly, he is a $15 player, right? There's very little variability on what he is. Whether it helps your roster or not, it depends on the rest of your roster. But if he somehow can be had for a couple dollars bargain, he's actually very unrisky, right? It, he, I'm pretty sure he's going to get those stats. Uh, and that's actually worth more than people think. So in auctions... I am not totally out if if I somehow have rostered the right guys in the reverse order. Like if I get, I don't know, Luis Arias for some reason on my roster early in an auction. I don't know why I would, but Gallo would actually fit because he'd be a small bargain, uh, low risk. So that's the only thing I'd say about that. Uh, Before we go on to our next player, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, we just spoke about Gallo and Garcia, along with the next two players we're going to speak about, Josh Donaldson and Eugenio Suarez, comparing those two players as well. Taking all those four guys, Gallo, Garcia, Eugenio Suarez, and Josh Donaldson, which player had the most intentional walks last year, and which player has most career stolen bases? Interesting question. Who had the most... Into it's very when I was going through their stats, you would think that someone has stolen has intentional walks, but it's kind of interesting because it shows something about their lineup and it shows something about how other how other teams play against them. Are you go first, Frank? I will go. I'll go Josh Donaldson for intentional walks. I mean, his peak was so great; he was an MVP. I would have to imagine he was intentionally walked quite a bit back in the day. Steals. Well, I'm, I'm talking about intentional walks for last year. Intentional oh, last walks year, for last, last year, year. And the stolen bases is career. Oh, okay, okay. So I mix those up. Uh, all right, so intentional walks for last year. Probably not going to go with Donaldson then. I think you're asking this because you want me to say Gallo, but I'm not going to say Gallo. I'll say Eugenio <laughs> Suarez for intentional walks. I'll say Joey Gallo for steals. Ariel? Um, career steals, I'm going to go with Avisal Garcia. Um, intentional walks last year. I'm going to go with Avisal Garcia. You are correct. Avisal Garcia right. yeah. had both the most <laughs> stolen bases and intentional walks. Last year, Garcia had five intentional walks. Gallo had five also, so they were tied. Donaldson had two. Suarez had none, which means it shows how much pitchers didn't mind pitching to Suarez last year. Stolen bases, Garcia has 45 career stolen bases. Donaldson has 38 stolen bases. Gallo has 26. Suarez has 28. Now, when it comes to age and running, I don't see Donaldson running anymore. I don't see Gallo running anymore. But as you, as we as I mentioned before, Garcia has had a total of 19 stolen bases in the last two years, so I don't see that stopping. So with that being said, Frank, 
Josh Donaldson versus Eugenio Suarez around the same ADP, who are you taking? And, and by the way, before you answer, just letting people know, uh, I, I don't know what the trivia is that Ruvain's going to ask. He asks this. I really don't know what it is each week. The only thing I do know is when to ask it, which he tells me. So yes. I know it's going to be about a certain player or so, but I just don't know what it is. So uh, um, <laughs> I'm surprised I got that one. That was a that was a very like, tough one today, Ruben. That's one of the first ones you've ever gotten totally correct, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so. oh, right. Ariel, Ariel, you know me so well because the next thing I was about to say is that you guys 1,000% cheated and you conned <laughs> against me. And no, no, this, this is the this is the first time he's got it completely right for the first time. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. When it comes to Donaldson versus Suarez, uh, I actually think both are a bit undervalued. I'll, I'll lean with Josh Donaldson. I know he's getting up there in age. He's in injury risk. He's dealt with a lot recently, hamstrings, calves, and you know that's that's not great for a player of his age, but I just pulled up the StatCast page for this guy, and you would think that it's prime Donaldson. I mean, this guy is just filled with red. We're talking 99th percentile average exit velocity, 95th percentile in barrel rate. So, when he's on the field, I think that Donaldson is still going to be really good. And the Twins lineup, I don't think that it's so bad. And, and they have some prospects coming too. Uh, Jose Miranda, we'll see what he could do. Royce Lewis, if he can get back on the field. So I, I still like this Twins lineup a little bit. And uh, I think Josh Donaldson, when he's healthy, he's going to hit in the middle of that lineup. So I'll take him. But I will point out, reasons for optimism, Eugenio Suarez, that month of September was phenomenal, where he hit 370 uh, with eight home runs, and an OPS over 1,200. So he was dreadful every other month, but you know, gives us something nice to maybe hold on to for, for the following season. All right, go next, Duvain. I'm a Eugenio Suarez guy. I think the beginning of the year, because they had him play shortstop, that affected his mind a little bit and how he was hitting. Um, last year and the year before, his BABIP was 224 and 214. Come on. Before then, his bat, his career bat was over 300 going into those two seasons. So you know what? I think you're going to see, just like Frank, you said, his September was amazing. So I think he's going to build off of that. Josh Donaldson, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get 250, 25 to 30 home runs, even in a bad lineup, which I think Minnesota is going to be a bad lineup. My concern is games played. Since 2016, 155, 113, 52, 55, 28 in 2020, and 135 last year. So he's getting up in age. So how many games is he actually going to play? He may actually be a, a possibility for some, to be traded to a different team because I think that the Twins are going to be out of it so quickly because I don't really believe in their starting pitching. So I, I, I can't buy Donaldson at this point, but Suarez at that price, I'm willing to take that risk. All right, so most of today I've been on Frank's side and I've been against Ruvain on these debates, but I actually agree with Ruvain on this one uh, um, over Frank here. Uh, I, I like both of them for this year, but I like Suarez considerably more. Um, as Ruvain mentioned, Donaldson has the health. He's got old person skills, which is lowish batting average, some power. He walks a lot, actually. Um, but he's also five years older than Suarez. Hey, you think like Suarez is an old guy? No, he's. Donaldson's really old. He's in the mid-30s. Uh, Suarez, he looked strong last year. I'm going to read you his barrel rate for the last five years. 6%, 10 13 14 15 His strongest barrel rate for his career, pretty much, was last year. Um, his BABIP, the last two years, Suarez, 202 and 198. And he still hit 31 homers after that. I think it's a case of bad luck. I think it's a case of um, the result just wasn't there, and it just came on and clicked in September. Um, I think to me, and let's add in the fact that he's now gotten 
shortstop eligibility as well as third base. So he's a guy who will help you at third base, which is a bad position, and he can fill in a shortstop if you need it. I, I think it's Suarez to me. But I think you're drafting Suarez as a third base. You're not really drafting him as a shortstop because shortstop sure. is so deep. So yeah. you're really getting him. And because third base is so shallow this year, drafting Suarez at that point is actually pretty good. Yeah, obviously. All right, we've got one good mailbag question from David Mendelson. He asks, hey, what do you guys think about waiting until the fifth round or later for your first starting pitcher as a strategy this year? The mid-round arms seem better than ever, and you can really stack up awesome hitting at the top. Frank, what say you? Uh, yeah, so I, I think this is actually a perfect question for a draft champions that I'm doing right now. I think this is much easier to pull off in a 12-team league. So I agree 1,000%. The middle rounds this year for starting pitching, it is just loaded with uh, either reliable arms or maybe arms that we've seen do it in the past that are being a little bit undervalued. Guys like Luis Castillo, Blake Snell, you Darvish, if you're about those players. Darvish burned me in a few spots last year, so I'm still trying to get over that. But... Uh, yeah, I do think that the mid-rounds are loaded. Uh, I waited till the fifth round of this 15-teamer that I'm doing right now. I got Kevin Gosman as my SP1. I got Charlie Morton as my SP2 in round seven. And I'm actually okay with that. I want to see how the rest of it turns out. But I do think that it is possible to wait this year, maybe grab you know one, two, three starters in you know the rounds five through 10, five through 12 range. And then uh, even later on, I mean, the, the position is just loaded with... Uh, either you know reliable arms. There's just there's more of a mid tier this year than we've seen in the past. I, I don't know if it's because of you know the baseball. They changed the baseball last year, so you know pitching got back on track. We don't we don't know what baseball they're going to be using as of now. But um, yeah, for whatever reason, there was like the the return of the middle class. So uh, yeah, I, I'm more likely to do it this year than any of the previous uh, the most recent years. Moving. I'm a little nervous waiting for the fifth round just because so many teams have already two pitchers by the fifth round that I'm nervous that I'm not going to get the pitcher I want even in the fifth round. Because if I see that, it depends. It's all it's going to be draft dependent and everything like that. But if you see pitchers are going real fast and you're not even going to get your quote-unquote fifth round guy in the fifth round, you have to take a pitcher before the fifth round. All right, so, I mean, we talked a lot about this on the show that it, the shallower a league you are, the more that this is absolutely viable. In 10-team, in 12-team leagues this year, I think that's a great strategy. Um, just as Frank said, pl plenty of reliability in the middle. Um, I'm totally fine with that. In deeper leagues, I, I would rather not do it. It's definitely more viable this year than in the recent past years, uh, but um, I, I would probably shy away from it. I mean, I don't go into a draft generally saying I need to get a pitcher in the first two rounds. Um, I have an idea that it's a good idea to do that. But certainly if the value is on the table and there's hitters that I can't pass up, I'm okay with that and can pivot to this kind of strategy. right? You can go in with, with a nice strategy of saying I'd like a pitcher, but be comfortable to pivot. And so I think your question is good, David, and I think that the answer is this year there is a good opportunity to pivot. And if the, the awesome bats come up that you think are great values, I think it's definitely viable this year. So I'll agree. Good? Yep. Shout out to Mendy, by the way, David Mendelson. We had him on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast recently. Ah, that's right. Great guy. Very great guy. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Um, all right. Uh, Ruvain, a quick injury update. I think you got a couple names. As, uh, there's not much information coming out, right? Uh, yes, there's not much information. So I'm going to title this the Don't Forget edition of the injury update of players who were injured very early last year or even before that. Just keep them back in your mind when you're drafting. 
Frank, you mentioned Royce Lewis of the Twins. He was a top draft pick. He had ACL surgery in 2020, in March of 2021. He was doing baseball activities already in August, and he should be 100% by spring training. The only people blocking him in middle infield are Jorge Polanco and Luis Arias for the Twins. I think the Twins want to know what they have with him already, so he may be up very soon, so you have to watch out for him. Robinson Cano, unfortunately, you, Frank, you're a, Met, you're a Yankee fan. We're Met fans. Robinson Cano is unfortunately, or fortunately, we'll see, still on the Mets. He was actually playing winter ball in, in the Dominican. He had a lower back to comfort he came back from that in 68 at bats this winter he's batting 279 four extra base hits including one home run if there's a dh in the nl he's a late he's a guy with a late dart you may be able to get him another guy who's had season ending surgery was garrett cooper he had surgery to repair a ucl tear in his left elbow back in july recovery for that is usually three to four months but he should be good coming to spring training in 71 games last year he did bat 284 and nine homers 33 RBIs. He's eligible at first and in outfield, so you want to take a gamble on him? He's a guy you can take a gamble on. Another guy to take a gamble on, Ken Giles. He had Tommy John surgery September 2020. He's on the Mariners. He should be coming into spring training with no restrictions. That bullpen for the Mariners is looking more and more like a Tampa Bay bullpen. They had Diego Castillo, Drew Steckenreiter, Paul Seawald, and now Ken Giles all may close. So you want to try to vulture some saves? Ken Giles is a guy you may want to think about. And another guy, I've mentioned him before, not just recently, but Aaron Hicks. Hicks went on the I.L., for the Yankees, I'm sorry, Frank. He went on the aisle last year in May, and he was diagnosed with a torn wrist tendon sheath. He had surgery, but he's playing winter ball. And in winter ball, he's batting 265 with four doubles, one homer, two stolen bases. He is going to be should be fine for spring training. And remember, he's under contract until 2025. So he will be on the roster. He may even be the starting center fielder for the Yankees starting the season. Is Jacoby Ellsbury still on the roster? Um, f- Frank, is he? Uh, please, no. I actually, I don't know why. I was actually just thinking about Jacoby Ellsbury the other day, and I was like, what an awful contract. I, oh, gosh. Uh, well, Aaron Hicks is not getting as much money, but he's under contract for the next three years. So they're going to find a place for him. Jeez. They may not resign Brett Gardner, but it, but they have Aaron Hicks. If they want to sign somewhere for a different position somewhere else, he's going to play. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Actually, my my first draft champions that I did already completed. I had both Robinson Cano and Aaron Hicks on that team. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Good luck. With yeah, that. these are late darts. <laughs> you know, we, we talked about in the show. These are late darts, and that's the that's the way to do it at the end of draft champions. And hey, listen, he's a great player. I hope for you and the Yankees that Hicks is able to play. So uh, definitely. Godspeed to him. Uh, Frank, this was a fantastic show. And, uh, I I mean, for those of you who just listened, obviously you know how articulate Frank is, just has the great blend of statistics and the right way of talking about everything. And you can listen to him, uh, was it three, four times a week almost, uh, on the Fantasy Baseball Today going forward uh, that you do? Yeah, so in January we just ramped up to three times uh, per week. So Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday we have a podcast in your feed. You can also watch us, youtube.com slash fantasybaseballtoday. Uh, all of our, our podcasts get posted there in video form as well. And by the end of this month, yeah, I mean, I think last week of January we'll probably ramp it up to four podcasts per week and, and then the same thing for February. So before you know it, I mean, it's draft season. We just need an actual season. So come on, guys, let's, let's end this lockout. Yeah, and CBS the podcast is the best daily podcast of fantasy baseball. I I'm not going to be shy in saying it. I think that's true. Uh, you know, definitely during the season, I listen to it every day to recap what happened. And uh, um, you and Scott and everybody else who's on the show is really top notch. So you know, kudos to you. 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Ariel, especially coming from you. Uh, look, it's it's honestly, we put in a lot of hard work. We stay up late each night. We're here on the East Coast, just like you guys. And, you know, we don't start recording the podcast in season until around midnight. So it might sound crazy to some people, but we're up most nights till like 3, 4 a.m. editing the podcast, getting ready to publish it. So it's a lot of work, but uh, of course, it's a lot of fun as well. So I do appreciate you and everyone else for tuning in. Yeah, and thanks so much for coming to the show. Anything else you want to plug, Frank, while, while you're here? No, I mean, that's really it. Fantasy Baseball Today, you can follow me there. We have a shorter five-minute podcast as well, Fantasy Baseball Today in five. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. Uh, but I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, our, our pleasure and honor. Uh, Ruvain, uh, you want to plug your stuff? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I've begun tweeting out injury updates for this year it's a little bit slow now because we're not getting that much information so i'm really sending out a lot of the stuff that happened prior to the to the lockout um and how they will apply for the coming season also i will have an in-season article on rotoboiler as always this coming year discussing all these injuries as well as others Yep, and I'm Ariel Cohen, and you can find my work over at Fangraphs, at Roto Bowler, and Sportsline on occasion. Um, and uh, the ACC projections should be up on all the sites in just a couple of weeks, uh, less than two weeks here, uh, as I'm waiting for a bunch of other projections to hit to incorporate into my own. Um, all my formulae are done now, so I'm just waiting, and then the big data cleanup is going on as you speak. So we're excited for that. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, the shortest Twitter handle in all of fantasy baseball. And you can listen to me right here every week on the Beat the Shift podcast. Thank you so much, Frank, for coming on episode one of the 2022 season. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.